You are listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to talk uh, with a professional who knows a little bit about how to get trainers or individuals in general to work on adherence and compliance. And there's carryover between what I believe that she does and what we do as personal trainers and fitness professionals. Um, and, and from what I understand, she helps people medically try to maintain that focus, but there's a lot of carryover and the research is, uh, it seems to have something to do with how people work with adherence and compliance to, uh, to exercise. And I think personal trainers can really benefit from this conversation. So I want to introduce everyone to Annette Schoenthaler. Hi, Annette. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, Rick. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And I'm excited because, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, that that my focus of study in school was attribution theory and attributional mm -hmm. retraining. So that has a lot to do with getting people motivated and reattributing what it is they blame uh, things that they can't do. Mm -hmm. And how do we move forward with that? So um, do do us this, like run down a little bit about your education, where sure. you work, and what it is that you currently do. And then we'll start to peel this apart. Yeah, sure. So um, I have a doctorate of health education from Columbia University. I currently am the associate professor of population health and medicine at NYU School of Medicine. And as you said, my research focuses on adherence behavior. So why do people stick to behaviors, things like taking their medications or exercising, healthy eating, things like that? And what can we do to support um, people uh, or patients to do those behaviors for the long term. And you're right, things like motivation is a key factor that plays into that. No, I've heard people say this before and I want to, to get your opinion on this. I've heard people say motivation isn't real. It's <laughs> not real. It's about just committing and making a decision. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a fallacy. That's saying that if we just had enough willpower and self-control, we'd be able to do everything. But we know that in times of stress that that's limited, right? Uh, particularly if we have to make a lot of decisions or do a lot of things and we're tired and we're stressed out at the end of the day, that's just not enough. There's other behaviors like your level of confidence and the amount of support you have that are going to keep us going. And one of the things that I, I know that doesn't actually work when <laughs> when we're talking about exercise, but when it comes to medication, I'm supposed to take medication mm -hmm. twice a day. And before I got my little Monday, Tuesday, went it was like pillbox before sure. that happened. I didn't know if I would take, I didn't know if I took my medication or not. And sure. because every day is just like the next one. Um, and so what I would do is I would air I guess, on the side of caution that says I would probably rather not take medication mm -hmm. than take mm -hmm. too much. Um, nobody, that's how exercise is done. People, yeah. <laughs> nobody knows, they, nobody, that never comes up where they say, uh, I don't know if I exercised today. Mm -hmm. And usually they err on the side of not exercising. So how do we get people in turn to start shifting it and say, I need to, one, adhere to something. And so the mm -hmm. adherence is, showing up, 
compliance is the program. So for us, it's the program. It's it's mm-hmm. what maybe did the personal trainer write out for for you guys and what it is that you seem to do. It's really like, what is the medication? Are you complying with the medication? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. with adherence, I think is really what we're trying to, to stick mm-hmm. with right now. What does it? What is it? What is this adherence? What is the motivation yeah. to do so? Kind of kind of give us a, a, a spin yeah. around the block with this. Well, first thing is there's no magic bullet. I have to say that, you know, we've been doing this, yeah, sorry, we do this research for years and there's no secret sauce or, you know, it's a combination of things. But I think um, Paramount, it's got to be personally important to that person. You talk about motivation. It has to be intrinsically what we say motivated. It has to come from within that person. It can't be an external force um, pushing the person out the door, pushing the person to get there, because if it's not tied what's important to them or what their values are, they're never going to commit to it long-term. You'll see that kind of New Year's resolution type increase in physical activity that then just decreases because it's not tied to what's important to them. Um, So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is it has to become a habit. Like we hear a lot about habit formation and routine. So let's like taking your medication. So, you know, your pill box is one form of habits formation that you know it's in there. It's a good reminder putting it next to your toothbrush and doing it right after you brush your teeth, for example. Um, You can think of a corollary with um, physical activity, putting your running sneakers at the front door, putting your gym clothes on in the morning before getting dressed, for example, on the weekends, things like that, that build those habits so that they're detracting from the excuses and, again, the decisions you need to make so that it happens. Um, I think one of the the things that I talk about probably more than anything is um, in, in this kind of attribution theory is that n- nobody, first of all, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody knows what that means. Uh, and so what I do in many of the conferences I speak at, it's the, the session is entitled Blame. And mm-hmm. it's about what people blame uh, to be their reason why they can or cannot do something. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we look at those blames and we try to reattribute that and say, okay, well, is this something that's always going to be this way? So for mm-hmm. instance, if I have, um, let's say a lady that's, that just had a child and she says, uh, they don't have daycare, they don't have this, I, I'm very tired. We know that that child is going to grow up, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not always going to be like that. The right. child's not always going to be six months old and we'll okay. be able to maybe go into the gym, daycare, things like that. So there are things that change. Um, but there are also things that are out of people's control in many instances. Mm-hmm. And um, and we like to say things like, do what you can, not what you can't. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that only see what they can't do yep. and focus on that. So how do you shift mindset with it? Again, it's a, it's a, it has to be based on their value system. Um, so as someone who has a three-month-old, I can understand mm. the, the tire trap, but um, exercise is a priority to me. It's very important for me to be a good role model to my kids. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and so her seeing me run every morning um, is important. Uh, and so, again, it's tying to what's important in that person's life and, and having it become a priority and thinking through the day. Um, we often have to think of, when we think of strategy, and we say, oh, my day is too busy. That's too abstract. We need to get more concrete. Well, what's going on in your day? You know, what are those slices of time? Um, And again, like for me, it's a personal value um, and I tie it to my kids. And that's why exercise fits in my life, even though I have a three month old. Um, 
So again, it has to come from within that person. If it doesn't come from in, within that person, it's not based on what they want and what's important to them. It's not going to happen, particularly for the long term. So Annette, I have I have several businesses and some of the interesting things that will happen is that there'll be incidences that come up. Mm-hmm. And we have to make real serious um, uh, decisions based mm-hmm. on an incident. And it's important to us as a business that we identify our values, mm-hmm. right? And you hear things like mission, vision, and values, and it just sounds like a bunch of corporate malarkey. But when we look at our values, that helps us better make decisions for us as a company. Mm-hmm. And so we had something that I spoke with our operations manager just the other day, and it was our, uh, it was an issue. And I said, we have to go back to our values. Let's go back to our values. Even if we lose business, we need to stick with our values. Now, with that said, that's something that we've done and developed and written out and committed to. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have people do that individually, like write it out, task it, yeah. you know, make sure you're living your life by it, or you just say, you have values and go with it? Do you try to cement it? No, we do cement it. So there's two techniques. Um, one is motivational interviewing. It's a counseling technique um, that we really adhere to in behavior change theory. And it's got a values exercise where you list your three values, why they're important and how your behaviors can align with those values. Mm. There's another simple technique called implementation intention from the social um, cognitive literature. And it's uh, making just a very simple if-then plan. And this really helps get through those bumps in the road that you're talking about. So like, you know, if this happens, then I will do this, right? If I'm feeling, um, if it's eight o'clock at night and I want to veg on the couch, then I'll do this instead. And it's really these simplistic mm-hmm. if-then plans. And then if you just say it three times, or I'm sorry, write it down three times and then memorize it, it really then becomes ingrained. And it's a really great way to get people over these um, humps to kind of maintain their values. And you can attach a reward to it as well as a way to say, I've done my plan. I'm on track. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I want to talk about the rewards, but I also, mm-hmm. I, it made me smile when you said, say it out loud three times. And I was yeah. like, oh man, it's like Beetlejuice is going to pop up. <laughs> uh, but if we, if we say it and we write it down, I think that's yeah. where a lot of value comes in that people sometimes seem to dismiss a little bit, which is writing down goals. So I, I know even when it came to studying, it wasn't until I was in grad school where I had heard for years, write notes, take notes, rewrite your notes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Mm, not happening. And then when I did it, I was like, oh my gosh, this makes everything so much easier. Mm -hmm. Um, It directs your mind in a way that saying it or repeating it internally just does not do. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to reinforce with our audience the the writing things down. Um, So now when it comes to doing what you do with those value systems, like the if-thens, we talk about giving a reward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious because, you know, can I, I'm curious if rewards are a good thing or if rewards can lead people down a path that are, is mm-hmm. not so good. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, again, so very, you're right. You have to be very careful about what the reward is. The reward should not, for example, be food-based or something that's going to detract you from your ultimate goal. They really should feed into the intrinsic motivation you're trying to build, not be something that's um, extrinsically motivated. So the idea of um, just feeling better about yourself internally, thinking about what the, the endorphins after a run, you know, what are those types of kind of more intrinsically motivated rewards that are going to fuel the behavior rather than saying, you know, stopping for an ice cream Sunday on Sunday, which has its pros. But if we're thinking about long-term behavior change, we need to think about what those things are that are going to drive the behavior uh, for the long term. And do you think that, do you think that these are, are slow incremental changes or do you believe that in many cases you just have to try to cold turkey something and say, don't yeah. do this, or you've got to commit to this? Well, it depends on the individual. Um, okay, sometimes, good. I like you said that. Yeah, it totally does. And there's even been some studies saying smoking where say men do better with cold turkey than, than women do. Um, women need a lot more building of their self-efficacy or their confidence, uh, whereas men feel confident already. And so they're easier to do with the cold turkey. Um, I'm a big proponent of smart goal setting. I don't know if you've talked about that, but the idea of having Please very do. This, yeah. So yeah. smart goal setting are specific, measurable, uh, achievable, relevant, and timely goals. Again, writing the goal down. And the key thing uh, about goal setting is a lot of people set New Year's resolution type goals. I'm going to lose weight. I want to run three times a week, but that's just not good enough to see behavior change. It needs to be something like I'm going to run one mile. Uh, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Um, for a month and tracking that uh, very specific goal that's uh, people feel that are achievable in, in order to see behavior change. So like you said, very specific. And the the specific part is really important. I think that's, uh, it, it kind of goes back to that statement where where our clients might say, when you say, what what do you want? What are what are your goals? And they say, I want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And that is really vague. Mm -hmm. It is really vague. So we say, well, what does that mean to you? But we also want to get a little bit deeper too, right? Like, is it a, a fat loss that we're looking right. for? Is it body composition change, not just weight loss? So right. there, are, there are many right. layers to it. Right. Um, but really what I want to to kind of dig into right now, because we've mentioned it multiple times already uh, since we've been talking, which are the phrases or the words intrinsic and extrinsic. Mm -hmm. uh, if you could take a moment and just break that down and and let's discuss it. And you know, for people who know what it is, it's good to to hear it again. Sure. And for people who don't know, it'll be nice to to understand it better. Yeah, absolutely. So in, the easiest way to think about it is intrinsic means internal or in in ourselves. Um, it's those motivations or goals that we that come from our value system. We decide they're important. They're more likely to be linked to long term behavior change as opposed to extrinsic or external motivators. That is oftentimes people telling us what to do. So the doctor telling you to lose weight, your um, counselor or your nutritionist telling you you have to eat better. Um, those things might prompt behavior change, but it's only for the short term. It really needs to come from within ourselves. That's why intrinsic um, in order to kind of be long term. And do you find that smart goals? Actually, mm -hmm. let me let me rephrase. Um, Extrinsic is going to be there because we don't control those. Other people put right. them on us. Um, how do we get people to develop a stronger sense 
of intrinsic value and what it is that they would, should, need to do. Yeah. Well, first, it's giving people the opportunity to say, like, why are you here? Like, what, what, like you said, is it body composition? What are you trying to achieve? And not just about, you know, exercise, I want to be stronger, but, you know, is this for some kind of long term um, health goal? Or do you want to live longer? Do you want a better quality of life? Like, what is driving this new interest uh, or continued interest in being physically active and having people really articulate that um, and, and talking about what their values are? Oftentimes, we cut to the end, we cut to the, you know, losing the weight part or getting stronger without kind of that, that process of why. Oh, man, that's for sure. I tell people all the time, Antoinette, I want to be able to play guitar. I, I don't want to practice it. I don't want to learn anything about it. I would just mm -hmm. love to be able to grab a guitar and play it. That sounds amazing. And mm -hmm. what people do is they do in that situation and many others focus on the outcome, the grand finale, what I wish, what I want, what mm -hmm. I would like um, without any real means of developing that and making mm -hmm. that happen. And what we try to do is... Look, here's something we know. We know that most of the time when people tell us why they don't work out, they blame it on things that are external mm -hmm. and they don't want to admit to themselves or to, to, to you and me mm -hmm. that they just don't like it, mm -hmm. right? Like they just mm -hmm. don't like it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we put that on people. We tell people that According to um, the American College of Sports Medicine, we should be exercising 150 minutes mm -hmm. a week. And when they look at that, they go, that's so unattainable right. for the majority of people that instead of doing a little bit of something, because they're looking at such a vast picture, they just say, what's the use in starting? What's yeah. the use in trying? Um, how do you kind of take these individuals who have these big yeah. pictures, these real outcomes that they want, but they just don't have any desire yeah. to get there. Yeah. And again, it's re we're reframing the conversation. So yeah. we're not even talking about, you know, that that's not even part of the conversation yet. We're starting with what's important to you, you know, what, cause they're there, right? So they're yeah. there for a reason. And so we're saying, we're going to start with you. And that, that kind of mind shift not only builds trust and rapport with the person right away. And so that they're more likely to then ease into these ideas of exercising more regularly, but it's starting with them. And, and by acknowledging that, acknowledging what's important to them, you're more likely to get them then to follow along and adhere to a physical activity plan. Okay. So it, it's really about giving them the space to express That's right. what they want. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so if you just, if you had somebody that came out and they said, uh, they said, Antoinette, I, I, I want to be healthier. I get winded when I go up the stairs and I'm tired. I need something different. Um, I know something's off and I, I believe this is going to help me, but I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Where would you go with that? Yeah. And I would say, I think people are afraid. I think you're afraid that I'm going to tell you you have to do more than you think you're ready to do or capable uh, of doing. Right. Um, and that's it, right? We have to meet people where they're at. We, if yeah. we can't meet people where they're at, and that's the thing, it's that fear and that lack of confidence um, that holds people back and makes them drop out. Um, their fear of being judged, their fear they can't do it. 
uh, and they're not confident they can do it. So I say, let's, that's fine. Let's, what's our starting point? You know, is it three steps? You know, what's, what's going to get you to the next step le level? Um, so you tell me, what is you capable of and what are you confident that you can do? And let's start there. Um, and then I build on that. Okay, so here's one of the things that I like, and it's a it's a wonderful coaching technique uh, that really relies on you letting them guide what they can do, as mm -hmm. opposed to you telling them what they should do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I used to train a comedian, and uh, she would say, "Don't should on me." So she just didn't want anybody to tell her what she should do. And and it was important to me to hear that because then I could go, you know what? Rather than me telling you what you should do, what I should do is rather ask what you can do. What are you willing to do and let them guide it? And one of the things that um, the educational programming that we did in, in school talked about um, – um, this type of education and the the education ab about teaching and andragogy was mm -hmm. in part allowing your students to help identify what it, problem they're trying to solve mm -hmm. and allowing them be a part of the problem solving. Yep. And what we as trainers want to do real often is hold all the answers and be the mm -hmm. harbinger of everything fitness and not mm -hmm. allow people to bring things to the table. Mm -hmm. And we should probably back off on the dictates mm -hmm. and start to encourage people to participate in their own kind of, kind of, I'm going to say self-guidance. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. Like, let's give a little self-guidance, allow them to create this self-guidance and for us to be there as counsel to right. to see what it is that they're they're doing. Do you feel like that that's got a, a hold? Yeah, no, that's exactly what motivational interviewing is, which has been shown to be extremely successful um, in, in in you know creating behavior change. I mean, the fact is that knowledge, you know, people know a lot of times that they need to be healthier. They know that there's exercise guidelines. They might know not know the specifics, specific stuff, but they know they need to exercise. It's not a knowledge gap. Um, it's a motivation confidence gap. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like um, anything, right? Like stopping smoking or, right. you know, exercise, taking your medications. Eating healthy. Yeah. It's not that you don't know it. Yeah. It's that you oftentimes don't want to do it. To yeah, do it. it takes a lot. It, it takes a it, lot. It does. So giving the space for people to to engage in that and also giving people the freedom to just say, I don't like it, mm -hmm. right? Because I got to be honest, my workouts, I oftentimes don't like them, right? Sure. Like it's some, working out sometimes just isn't, isn't there for me. Like it's not what I want to do. It's not where I want to be, but there is a a motivation. Oh, this is something that I was going to ask you about. So it's there's some confusion sometimes when people talk about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And so a little clarity from you with this is right. Like if you walk by and see those shoes mm -hmm. that we set by the door, is that an extrinsic motivator or is that simply a reminder to do something? That's a reminder. Extrinsic motivator is more like I'm going to buy myself 
you know, give myself this reward, again, a reward for, for doing the activity. So at the end of the week, if I do all my running, I'm going to buy myself, um, you know, a new pair of running shoes, which is fine. You know, you can have extrinsic rewards, but they should then build into me being intrinsically motivated to continue the behavior. So they can, extrinsic rewards and motivators are good for starting the behavior, Mm-hmm. But then it has to become part of my value system in order for me to continue the behavior. I think that's the key nuance, yeah. Okay, so this is important too because there are apps out there now. And mm-hmm. you do these apps and they give you badges and yes. rewards yes. and things like that. And I got, I'm got, i like, yes, I got another one. You know what sure. I mean? So there's something, there's something enjoyable about that. Sure, sure. But I think they wear off. Their novelty wears off over time, you know. Um, but some some people love them, and that's great. But I think after a while, we kind of just be like, oh, here's another one, you know, and, right. and it wears off over time. Um, something else I wanted to bring up that you keep bringing up is this idea of a relapse and in the sense that, you know, there are days that I don't feel like exercising either. And I think people have this all or nothing perspective is like, I have to do it all the time, or I'm just going to give up and that's it. And I think we have to normalize that it's okay to slip up. It's okay not to exercise, not want to exercise every day and be totally enthusiastic about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, we're human beings. Um, things come up in life. Like you said, things are out of control. So we have to normalize the fact that we're going to slip up. Um, The key thing is that we have to have a plan for when that happens. You have a day where you, uh, a week, for example, that you just don't exercise. Okay, that's fine. How are you going to get back on track once kind of you get through that slip Uh, and normalizing that process? Yeah, I I do that sometimes. I'm I'm diabetic, so I'm type Mm -hmm. 2 diabetic. And I was just out of town with family and the food was a little bit more... um, Shouldn't have been there. All right. So mm-hmm. no, 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 no. I should have been with the family, but the food was there. My my uh, daughter had her birthday, you know, so there was cake involved, ice cream cake, by the way. So it was <laughs> extra into that. Um, and then when we left, and I wasn't exercising very much. Mm-hmm. And when we left, I had taken my blood sugar and it was incredibly high. Mm-hmm. Well, that I don't know if that was a reminder or an extrinsic motivator. Mm-hmm. I do know that it was about 11 o'clock at night and I was like, I have to go for a run. Mm-hmm. I have to get these numbers down. Um, there, I believe that there are some people who who see things like that in this in this world. But but I get immediate results. Right. Like I can mm-hmm. go for a run and when I come back, I can test my blood sugar again and I'm like, boom, there it is. Yeah. Um, weight loss is different or building muscle is different and it's not a reward like that. Yeah. Well, that's again why we have to focus on a process and not an outcome because if we're always focused on outcome, particularly for weight, which can change from on a day-to-day basis, we'll be discouraged. And so there has to be something else we're aiming for uh, in order to to kind of stay motivated. Yeah, I'm with you about the process and and mm-hmm. also about creating change. I know my lifestyle, once that diagnosis for me happened, it was really challenging for, for me to switch some things around. And, uh, and, and it took a lot of time mm-hmm. for me to, to shift in a meaningful way mm-hmm. that, that I thought created value in my ability to, to stay uh, intrinsically motivated. Like I want to exercise. Uh, if, if my numbers are high, I actually want to go for a run. Like I don't Mm -hmm. look at it and be like, Oh, you know, like there, there are things that just, they stimulate me 
mm-hmm. to do something, but it's something I'm already ready, willing, and able to do. That's, yep. Yep. Yeah. And there's an activity that I do with uh, patients of rating their readiness, willingness, uh, and ability to do things. So on a scale of zero to 10, how ready are you to make this change? Or on a scale of zero to 10, how confident are you? Because if they're giving me low ratings, we need to do some work before we can enact the plan. Uh, it's no sense of setting someone up for failure. So if they're saying to you, I just made this goal, but I'm a three on the goal, you don't send them on their way and say, see you next session. You know, you, you rework it until you can get them to an eight or above. Don't set people up for failure. Now, one of the interesting things from what I understand with motivational interviewing, and you, and you know more about this than me, but I found this interesting, is that when somebody provides a low number like that, instead of asking them, why is that number so low? Let's say that they did say a three out of 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, why is that number so low? asking them why they ranked it as high as they did. Why, mm-hmm. why, is that a, why is that a three? Why would you give yourself a three and not a two or a one? Mm-hmm. What, what's the thought process behind that? Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. So that then gets people talking about the reasons why they can do it. And maybe then that incites more confidence in them. So they say, you know what, I'm not a two because you know I've done it before. Uh, and I know that at least on some days I am able to do this. Um, but we never ask them why not a higher number. We used to do that. We don't do it anymore. So you wouldn't say why not a five instead of a three because then they're going to start talking about barriers. So yeah. you yeah, always say, why not a lower number? Because uh, it starts, they start then self-talking and talking about the reasons they can do it. I love this concept, right? It's, it's focus on what they can do. It's focus on mm-hmm. what they can control. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing that you can do is find yourself in a situation that's, that's stable, which is you, you kind of can't get out of it. Um, mm-hmm. like diabetes or heart disease or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like this is a current stable situation and it seems like it's out of your control. And when mm-hmm. you put those two things together, it is kind of a great combination of absolute paralysis. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do is give people back some control right. and, and let mm-hmm. them know that if, if, if you focus on what you can do versus focusing on what you can't do, you'll actually do. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, people get lost in the kind of all the behavior change techniques and don't know where to start. So I always recommend the rulers, the zero to 10 for ready, willing and able as a quick way to really get a pulse of where your person is and where to start. Because again, if their readiness is low, you you don't want to go into all the things they can do. You really need to kind of do some work again to build a relationship with them. Um, You really need to be on the same level. I love that. And one of the other things about the process, focusing on the process and not the outcome, because here's the bottom line. You can't Mm -hmm. get to the outcome unless the process happens. So if all you do is stress about the outcome and not focus on the process, you're not going to get very far, very fast. And then you'll oftentimes get disappointed because Mm -hmm. you, you keep not getting there every time you go to the gym, every time you show up. And really what happens is that when you provide people, um, a a delicate balance of something that's not too hard, Mm -hmm. but hard enough, Mm -hmm. right? So it's gotta be not too difficult, but it's gotta be difficult enough because if it's not too difficult, they'll look at it and be like, what's that gonna do though? Right. And then if it's too difficult, they'll look at it and be like, there's no way that that's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have any any kind kind of techniques on or is it just kind of explore it and see what works and see what people are, again, willing to do, these kind of 
That's right. Yeah, it's really getting to know what their baseline is and what they're currently doing um, and then what their goals are and then kind of right, finding in the meeting in the middle from there. Um, but making sure you always know the baseline. I think that's very important and, and kind of gauging what's the not too much, but too um, good enough. Well, I, I, I tell people oftentimes that the anticipation of the gym is worse <laughs> than the gym itself. It's very true. It's very true. And so a lot of times, just a technique that I'll, I'll give people is, it, and I'll tell them to pick their favorite exercise, uh, and whether that's, uh, let's say, bench press. They're going to bench press. I go to the gym and do one set of bench press, and then you've won for the day. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's all I'm going to request. And they're like, what's that going to do? And, I, and, and of course, that's giving too little. Uh, but what I do initially is I say, just give your permission, yourself your permission to go and do one set. Now, if you want to do more, go do more. Um, but as long as you get that one set in and we have a three-day period, you've got one, you've got three days to go once and make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, they're usually pretty good at doing it, but very often... They say, you know, while I was there, I went ahead, I did like three sets, right. and then I walked on the treadmill for 15 minutes. Yeah. No, that's right. They say that's, and that's the thing. Again, you're breaking it down, right? You're not making it overwhelming that you have to do this whole plan that even same with like running, just, you know, try three steps, try five steps, and then it just kind of catches on. Um, and, but let them feel that, you know, that feeling of catching on rather than you telling them you have to accomplish all these things. They're naturally doing it themselves. Again, that intrinsic drive. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, look, we're getting close to our time because I know that you have a hard 45 minute stop. Yeah. And uh, I just want to reach out to Greg and ask Greg, since we've been on the Facebook Live, if there's anybody in the chat that uh, has asked a question that they would like it to uh, Antoinette to answer. Again, the mute button always gets me, Rick. I apologize <laughs> about that. Uh, so, yeah, there was actually a very active chat today, but uh, Ada kind of wanted to know, and I'll paraphrase this because it's kind of long, but uh, how do you determine the fine line between, uh, you know, a client making excuses and, and understanding when a client has a, a legitimate problem so you're not uh, trying to push them too hard, I think is, is kind of the general that what he's looking at. Yeah, that's a great question, right? So you can have someone who's feeding you a lot of excuses. And and again, it start, first, starting with a relationship, knowing your client well is really key. Um, you never want to accuse a client of saying they can't do it uh, when they really can. And, and I think, again, it's really starting with that zero to 10 scale, understanding how ready, willing, and able, and laying out their values uh, and having them say to you, you know, and, you know, and, and just keep tying it back. You know, you said to me that this is really important to you. I just want to make sure we're on the same page so that we're doing the right thing for you. Um, never take a blaming to always take a non-judgmental approach, normalizing the behavior, things like that. And people will be much more likely to be honest with you. Oh, I love that. Thank you. And normalizing it is important too, because I think even people look at us as personal trainers and they think we don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, I look at some other personal trainers and I think they don't get it. Like I, I'm like, I don't want to exercise and they're there every day and they're doing mm -hmm. their workouts. Uh, it feels like they don't get it. So allowing uh, ourselves to, to say, look, it's not every day. It's not what people necessarily love doing until they develop the process to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, and even when that happens, it's not that you love doing it. It's just what you do. It's habit. It's very Zen. It's kind of like, why do, why do frogs jump? 
right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. they're frogs. And, and, you know, you just look at it and say, this is what we do because at this point it's so internalized. Mm -hmm. it's, it's part of the identity of who I am and what I commit to. Yeah. And people are more likely to give excuses when they feel they're going to be judged. And so if you're right away normalizing and taking away that feeling of judgment, um, then they're less likely to give you any kind of excuses. So again, saying, you know what, there are some days that we don't want to do this. I have days where I don't want to do this. So, you know, and just level set with them and they're more likely to be honest. Thank you. Greg, we got anything else? Oh, mute. Julie wants to know what is the... Uh... Again, the mute button. Uh, <laughs> Julie is the uh, wants to know what is the key. Sometimes people feel uh, their motivation is one thing, but it really isn't that. What's the key to getting to what their true motivation is? Yeah, and again, it's starting with their value system. So uh, you're right. A lot of people want to lose weight, and that they think that that's that what's in it for them, and and you know, looking good in a bathing suit or you know whatever it might be, but oftentimes that's very superficial and it, it has to be something more about quality of life, um, you know, healthier life, things like that that are more stable than things that are more um, extrinsic like bathing suits, etc. Nice. What else, Greg? We got him. Keep him, keep him rolling if you got him. <laughs> that is, we got to answer as many as we can uh, while Antoinette's still here. That actually is the uh, the end of what came up in the chat. A lot of people agreeing with uh, with your talk, and, and thank you guys <laughs> for uh, for this. I found it very valuable. But that was the primary questions that we had in the chat today. Thank you. Excellent. I did too. And just to go back to uh, the last person's question too, is that a lot of times people give these excuses um, and excuses are usually external excuses as to why they can't do something. So, um, and, and that's kind of built into us, right? Like I'm a big college football fan and my team is Alabama and roll tide a hundred percent. But when Alabama loses, then I go on these rants, like, why did they do this? And then that guy dropped the ball. And then this guy did this, you know, this. And, and then Saban just didn't have it together today. And then, <laughs> and then suddenly they win. And what do, my vocabulary completely changes from what they did and what they did and what he did to we won. <laughs> we did it. And I'm hugging people who all think that they did it too, right? So we identify with different people and different things. And I think a, a, a big part of what we do is that um, we'll, we'll put blame, we'll put things out in order to protect ourselves. And, and that's what that does is that we want to protect ourselves. And I think in one of the things that, Annette, that you're talking about is um, allowing people to have the space where their ego isn't challenged when right. something is difficult to accomplish. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Good. Good. That's <laughs> what I wanted to get to. <laughs> I think that's a pretty decent place to wrap up. Annette, do you have um, a, a website or social media or anything that you want to direct any of our listeners to that they can follow? Yeah, I mean, you can go to the Center for Healthful Behavior Change. Uh, it's CHBC. Uh, it's uh, at NYU's website. It has uh, all more information about this. Uh, and then happy, it has my contact information if anybody has more interest in it as well. 
Amazing. Thank you so much, Antoinette. I thank you thank for you. being on the show. Thank you for being a part of it. Uh, for those of you out there listening, thank you for listening. If you have questions or a particular topic or a concept that we should get a subject matter expert for, like Annette was for us today, then please reach out to me at rick.richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y, at nasm.org, and we'll see if we can get that taken care of. Thank you so much for listening. This is the NASM CPT Podcast.